Your mama's so fat, the back of her neck looks like a pack of hot dogs. May you have seven different kinds of diarrhea. Hey, my youth, your head is as big as Bob Marley's funeral. Tu eres peor que un asido en el culo. Your teeth are like stars, they come out at night. Sinulla ei taida olla kaikki muumit laaksossa. I'll cut you down so low, you'll have to hold a sign that says, don't spit. Can't swim. Welcome to Don't Spit, Can't Swim, a podcast about insult humor from around the world. I'm Ben Kinsley. I'm Jessica Langley. And I'm Jerston Crosby. On this episode, the three of us sat down to discuss how we began collecting insult jokes, why they continue to fascinate us, and what they can tell us about the cultures they come from. Just a warning. On this episode and all future episodes, there will be strong language and discussion of subject matter that is not for the innocent. So if you're a baby or sensitive to such things, you may want to stop listening now. So in 2004, I did an internship at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and my job was to digitize all these old reel-to-reel audio tapes that came in these big black plastic boxes with nothing but call numbers on them. I had a list of everything in the collection on this clipboard. So I take one down and I'd load it onto this reel-to-reel machine. And this machine was connected to a computer so that I could digitize them. I digitized tapes of citizen reporting from the McCarthy hearings, field recordings of Appalachian folk singers, and audio of Native American performance traditions, and a ton of other stuff. So one day, I found this grouping of tapes bound together with a rubber band that had no labels on the outside and weren't on my checklist. And when I pulled them out of the box, they were labeled materials for the study of relation and culture in the Lower East Side, late 20th century New York City. It was a project by the great collector and self-taught anthropologist Harry Smith. Some of the tapes contained the original recording sessions from Allen Ginsberg's blues album. And then the rest of it was people singing songs from memory to Harry Smith in his room in the Chelsea Hotel. A lot of it was folk songs and sometimes original music, mostly sung a cappella. And then there were these recordings of playground songs that people remembered from childhood. And then I heard this piece sung by the poet Peter Orlovsky, who was Allen Ginsberg's partner. Not Canal Street, all right. Walking down Canal Street, knocking every door. Goddamn son of a bitch, I couldn't find a whore. Finally found a whore. She was tall and thin. Goddamn son of a bitch, I couldn't get it in. I finally got it in. Wiggled all about. Goddamn son of a bitch, I couldn't get it out. I finally got it out. It was red and sore. Oh, the moral of the story is to never fuck a whore. I remember laughing out loud when I heard this tape. His voice was so beautiful on the one hand, and then it was just so crass and offensive on the other. It wasn't what I expected to hear in the Smithsonian archive. It was this dirty, naughty part of folklore that you don't even think about as folklore. Smith had captured this base, crass part of our culture that often gets left on the playground. I loved it, and though I probably shouldn't have, I made my own copy of it on a CD and put it in my bag and took it home. So fast forward eight years, Ben and I were living on the second floor of what was basically a cockroach-infested brownstone in D.C., and our friend Jerston came to visit. That night, we were listening to records, and someone put on the Anthology of American Folk Music, which is this great collection of folk recordings Harry Smith compiled from his personal collection of 78s. 
It was originally put out on Folkways Records in 1952, and it had a major influence on the folk music revival in the United States in the 1950s and 60s. It included songs by the Carter family, Doc Boggs, Clarence Ashley, Blind Lemon Jefferson, and Mississippi John Hurt, among many others. That label is now operated by the Smithsonian as Smithsonian Folkways, and Harry Smith's Anthology of American Folk Music is the reason I took that internship back in 2004. But Harry Smith didn't just collect folk music. He collected all things folk, including seminal textiles, Ukrainian Easter eggs, string figures like Cat's Cradle, and paper airplanes that he found in the street. He was looking for universal truths. And he believed those universal truths could even be found in playground rhymes and songs. As we were listening to the anthology together, I remembered that bootleg CD I'd made of Harry Smith's recordings of Peter Orlovsky singing dirty playground songs. So I pulled it out, and the three of us listened to it together. Here's another song from those recordings. Uh, oh yeah, then there's uh, First Marine, no, how's that go? Uh, first Marine, they went over the wall, parlez-vous. Second Marine, they went over the wall, parlez-vous. Third Marine, they went over the wall, got shot in the ass with a cannonball. Inky dinky, parlez-vous. First Marine that f found the beans, parlez-vous. Second Marine that baked the beans, parlez-vous. Third Marine that ate the beans, fought all shit all over the submarine. Inky dinky, parlez-vous. Uh, you could tell some, some dirty jokes. Uh. Well, uh... <laughs> what has always stuck out to me about this recording is this process of remembering the trying to recall this thing that you might have known on the playground some, I don't know, 20 years ago, and somehow pulling it out of your memory, because it's still in there somewhere. And because why? Because of the taboo, the forbidden language of swear words, or in Orlovsky's case, the forbidden subject of sex or prostitutes. And so these songs are still somehow embedded in the subconscious, and that process of trying to remember them through the act of singing, stumbling, recalling, trying again, this was really interesting to us. Yeah, and after listening to that, we started trying to remember our own songs from childhood. And the conversation took me back to some songs my granddad's brother Bobby, my, my great uncle Bobby, taught me in Mississippi. And I could do one if you want. Yeah, do one. I had a dog and his name was Ring. Round his tail I tied a string, pulled on the string and it tightened his hole. Get along, little doggy with the tight butthole. <laughs> Wait, tell, all right, so tell me more about this. This was, um, I was probably in middle school and I was in Mississippi <laughs> with my, where my granddad grew up, the land he grew up on and the house, it was all still in the family and we would kind of gather there every now and then. So his youngest brother, Bobby, or one of his brothers, Bobby, I'm sorry, um, just kind of came out of nowhere with those. I think I had taken my guitar with me to Mississippi. So I was learning how to play. And that was maybe the impetus for him to share these songs with me. But I would, I went back to middle school and like, I would even make like other people do the clapping or the snapping with it. And, you know, and I would sing the song and it was kind of a thing. Well, I think part of also when we were talking about this, we were trying to think about, I mean, for you, that's, that's awesome that you have this memory 
and this tradition almost of singing, but it came from an older generation, right? And I think singing might not be as common a part of our childhood as it was in the past, right? No, because I also had a song, um, the uh, great big gobs of greasy grimy gopher guts, mutilated monkey meat, little tiny hairy feet, all chopped up in all-purpose porpoise meat, swimming in pink lemonade, and me without my spoon. That was the song that I knew. (laughs) Collectively, we couldn't remember very many songs, but one thing that you guys could recall were insult jokes, like the classic Yo Mama joke, and probably everybody in America knows at least one of these. And I remember Jesse, you, and Jerson having a Yo Mama joke battle that lasted for an impressively long time. And notably, Jerson, you called these jokes something very different than what we had ever heard. You called them janks, and I remember you had to spell it for us, J-A-N-K-S. Well, janks as a term, you know, when you're growing up, you think everything, I thought everyone in America that spoke English knew what a jank was, and that was all collectively understood. But then when I moved out of the South, you know, grew up in Alabama, moved out of the South and started traveling, you know, you start to realize that you have a vernacular that's regional. And so a a jank, as we use the term, was an insult joke. It was a yo mama joke. It was a your daddy joke, whatever it was, but it was specific to an insult you would say to someone in a joking way. And it was never used in any kind of real battle against anyone. It was usually between friends. You know, things you would share with very close friends or you would say on the playground. We grew up, Jesse and I grew up in different places in Ohio. And we, this term janks, we did not know. Right. And you grew up in Alabama, and this was a term, you were surprised that we didn't know this term. And then you had all these types of janks that we were like, wait, what? Yeah, there was a, I think the ones that you guys were surprised to hear were the like, the Lord was given out series. So um, when the Lord was giving out noses, you thought he said roses and asked for a big red one. There were others though. There, So like the title of the podcast, Don't Spit, Can't Swim. Yeah. Um, that one is, uh, you're so short, you have to wear a sign that says, don't spit, can't swim. Wasn't there also like, I'll cut you down so low? Yeah. Um, I'll cut you down so low. You have to wear a sign that says, don't spit, can't swim. That, that could be a interchangeable. Also, um, I'll cut you down so low, low, you could swing your feet off the curb. I think we called them like you got dissed. Because, I mean, I grew up on, like, MTV, and um, the ones that I knew were, like, um, your mom's so fat, she jumped up in the air and got stuck. Mm-hmm. Or um, your mom's so fat, when she takes a shower, her feet don't get wet. Or um, you're so dumb, you took the Pepsi challenge and chose Jif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got some, your mom's so fat, she irons her clothes in the driveway. You had the tall ones, though, the ones about yeah, you are so tall. Th- I think I made those up, though. Really? Yeah. No, well, because those are so... Up, I made them up as a child, though, and, like, that was, like, me trying to one-up other kids. Uh-huh. Like, I have a joke you don't have. You yeah. Know? So I did, like, your mom's so tall, she did a cartwheel and kicked Jesus in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one's a classic. Yeah, Actually, I don't think I made that one up. That, that I did not, but I used that as the basis for... Um, really dumb ones and you could tell they're just not as good but like your mom's so tall she goes deep sea fishing without a boat not funny <laughs> so not as good so we were kind of impressed that tall could be a like, <laughs> like a insult. bad thing an yeah. insult yeah. about a mom right so a question arose from this conversation 
how does the structure of insult joke differ from place to place? And is the term used to describe this tradition also site-specific? So we decided to start a documentary project called Jank's Archive, which is a collection of insult humor from around the world, very much inspired by Harry Smith's recordings. We made our first collection of jokes in Philadelphia in 2012 and have since traveled to 11 different cities in seven different countries collecting local variations of this type of insult humor. So it's an ongoing project and really an inquiry into this oral tradition. Right. If we go to different places and ask people to tell us insult jokes they can remember from childhood, what will we get and how will this vary from place to place? And what can you learn about a place and its cultural values through what's perceived to be bad attributes or insulting attributes and how that can be totally different from one place to another? This is one of the first recordings we got when we started the project. We were doing a collection in Philadelphia in 2012 at a local art gallery, and a bunch of different people came from the city. And one guy gave us this insult joke. This one is from the Middle East. A thousand English ships couldn't pull your mustache hairs from my asshole. <laughs> it's the, it's so good. It's so specific. It's so visual. It's so specific to a place too. A thousand English ships, specifically English ships, right? Yeah, and we we immediately imagined the illustration of this and like somebody with like a really long mustache and then I don't even know. It was just, you know, we were ma- imagining this fleet of ships like across the sea and somebody's like really tight butthole, you know. And that's when we really realized that this project had a lot of potential and that the, the tradition of insult is international and it spans cultures. And here's another one that we got in 2016 um, when we were recording in Queens, New York. Um, and this one comes from Kazakhstan. Tell me the, tell me the story again. Okay, uh, the story is from the former Soviet Union uh, time. So I, I used to be a pioneer and I used to be kind of fat and uh, once I was at home and I was wearing uniform with a red tie and a white shirt and black skirt and my mean cousin came and she was really skinny actually, forever. And she told me, Ты спереди пионерка, сзади пенсионерка. That means that you are a pioneer girl from the front and uh, like a re- looking like a retired person from the back, telling me that I'm so fat that uh, from the back I'm like an old lady <laughs> with a big butt. And <laughs> so that was from a conversation we had with a woman who grew up in Shimkent, Kazakhstan, that we recorded in Flushing Meadows Corona Park near LaGuardia Airport in New York City. She told us a joke in Russian that she remembered from childhood growing up in the former Soviet Union. And it had to do with what she looked like wearing her uniform, specifically the uniform of the Pioneer Movement, which was an organization for children operated by the Communist Party. In the exploration of this format, we've gone to a lot of different places. And I think it's been really interesting to kind of stretch the the. Uh, term and to stretch the definitions of like what it is that we're collecting and what it is that we that sort of falls under this umbrella of jank. So like when we went to Mexico, I mean, there's obviously a language barrier. We're not fluent in Spanish, but um, we learned about like Piropo and it was sort of a cat call, like, um, you know, men yelling things at women on the street. Um, but there the difference was that they were so disgusting 
the things that the men were yelling raunchy so raunchy that that it was funny and they were intended to make that woman laugh the piropo i don't think is necessarily not intimidating right but it is funny we've talked about what um janks means but like can one of you go into like as you've traveled or as this has traveled the names people call these jokes i think that's another interesting thing that kind of we didn't expect to get yeah so well we started like noting that you call them janks we call them disses others like in pittsburgh it's rippins and other people in maybe in philly where people called them slams um do you remember in belfast in northern ireland and england they call them slaggins yeah. Slagging. Like slagging, yes. but slagging you, somebody you off. slag someone off. And then in Finland, actually, which I'm, since you're married to a Finnish person, and uh, I'm really surprised that we, like, didn't learn about this earlier, but hate to Heria. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this, like, absolutely correctly. Hate to Heria. It means to throw slander. That's perfect. So throwing slander. Yeah. Um, in, in Mexico City, there's also something called the albur, which is very much like the game of the dozens, which right. we should talk about, but right. the dozens comes from kind of uh, African American tradition, very tied to jazz. It's the it South. is the South. It is about and the, the rap battle blues. Yeah, blues rap battles. It's about back and forth. It is really a competition, like the Yo Mama joke competition that you guys were talking about earlier. That's the dozens, and there's a whole rich history of the dirty dozens. But then in Mexico City, they have something called the albur which is uh, like the dozens, except it has to rhyme. So you're constantly rhyming back and forth with each other. Uh, But it's also about um, sexual submission, like putting somebody in a sexually submissive uh, position. Through language. Through language. (laughs) Si el rojo es pasión, váyame con tu menstruación. Ah, qué mal. Bien, este. Había una hermana. La que traigo de campana. ¿Cómo? Ese albur es elegante. Tu mamá hace la chingón de elefante. Me albureaste como pajarito, pero pregúntale a tu mamá cómo le dejé el hoyito. ¿Cuál otra? ¿Qué otra grosería? Okay, so that was a recording we made in March of 2013 of some teenagers in Mexico City demonstrating their agility with albores. Of course, the insults and comebacks rhyme in Spanish, but the English translation of what you just heard goes something like this. If theft is passion, shower me with your menstruation. Toss me a sister. The one I'm wearing as a bell? That is an elegant albor, but your mom was fucked by an elephant. You left me like a little bird, but ask your mama how I left her whole. The idea that a joke wouldn't translate is often about context or historical significance and also like cultural values. Right. So the the fact that something may not translate or or that it we if literally translate it still isn't funny because is because maybe we don't find that laughing at that subject is right. humorous in our language or in our culture. So um, I think part of the investigation is like also finding about like what is taboo, like what what is taboo enough to be funny in that culture, but not so taboo that they wouldn't repeat it, mm-hmm. you know. And so like this whole project has been um, revelatory about what is it that we value, um, and what is it that we think is like acceptable to make fun of. Mm-hmm. And um, and how that changes based on location, yeah. culture. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, and the least interesting part of it, I think, is the 
the jokes that are maybe more ubiquitous across territories because they're just influenced by some movie or TV show on MTV or whatever, and everyone kind of learned them at the same time. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, some of those are in the archive, but they're not really what we're going for. I think another um, question we get a lot is that why don't we just have a website where people can submit things uh, over the internet? Which yeah. we've even asked ourselves. Which we've asked ourselves. And I yeah. think the reason why we continue doing this the slow, hard way is that we're looking for the things that are specific to a place and things that people actually have in their memory that they're not looking up on their phone, that they're not Googling. And I think it's very hard to know if you do something over the internet that people aren't just taking things that are already perpetuated through Mm -hmm. the internet and being filtered through just mass media. And at the same time, we're also looking for things that people are willing to say with their face attached to it. Which I think has uh, a lot to do with empathy and the idea of talking to somebody face to face, like you invite empathy into the into the relationship and so um when when the like with online trolling for example you know there is no personal connection to the person that you are trolling basically and so it allows for so much like less humanity in the conversation and then that relationship um well you're not accountable right if you're invisible on the internet you're not accountable for what you're saying you can say anything you want and what we're really looking for are genuine nuggets of culture that still exist in this language and i think the internet actually is the worst place maybe maybe it's a great place to put it and archive it like we've been doing but i don't think it's the best venue platform platform for yeah exhibiting it but not so much collecting collecting yeah right because um, what we don't want is just all the joke books that have been mass produced to be just told to us. Right. Right. Exactly. We want things that came from your genuine human life experience through your grandparents. Through you. We yeah. want the story attached to those jokes, too. Yeah. And the thing that actually made you laugh. We, what, what we're specifically not looking for, and I think this is another, maybe another misunderstanding, is that we're not looking for hate speech. We're not looking for racist jokes. We're not looking for blatantly sexist or homophobic or any of these types of humor jokes that do exist in the world right or like about groups or specific yeah mostly that's like you've done a good job about defining it as you know person to person about you know right not not a joke that you would say about a group of people that are not in the room with you presently right that would be a a way that racist language continues right uh it's within an in-group you're talking about an out-group in a in a mean-spirited way and only the people within the in-group are laughing about it Mm -hmm. what we're looking for are the jokes that you tell to somebody's to their face and then they have a way and a moment to respond to you back to your face and you're it is a dialogue right it's a back and forth you're saying whatever that is, no matter how disgusting or mean or whatever the, the language is that you're saying, you're saying to somebody's face directly, right? Right. And what we've been learning is that these traditions come out, actually happen in very close-knit community right. situations. It's between friends, it's between family, and 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 it's between... It's rarely between actual people who don't like each other. Right. <laughs> it's, and, you know, communities. It's a... A vernacular in a community, right? And maybe it's a way in which a community deals with tension mm-hmm. in a funny way, right? Um, I think there's a lot of bonding that happens potentially with this type of tradition, right? Um, because it is 
you are kind of engaging in taboo and you're pushing the boundaries of acceptable speech within a kind of an intimate moment. So we think that despite the maybe antagonistic quality of what it looks like on the outside, that actually these traditions come from a very, a space of, of intimacy and a space of friendship and a space of familiarity. And also inclusion. Yeah, because it is it is that invitation into the um, like circle of trust in which you can trust that this person will not be offended by necessarily what you say, um, even if the intention is to kind of push the boundary a little bit to push that envelope of of um, the insult. It's so much more of an invitation. You know, if we didn't say it explicitly enough, we see this project as a continuation of that history of, you know, folk, folk archiving, right? Mm-hmm. Going around and letting people say whatever they want to the camera or, you know, the, the idea is that these are gonna, you know, in oral tradition, these are gonna dissipate and continue to completely disappear from language as media and internet makes the world more homogenous, right? The culture more homogenous. Um, we're going to lose these things. And so what we're doing is sort of right, creating a, a documentary of something that's going to be gone one day. You've been listening to Don't Spit, Can't Swim, a podcast about the oral traditions of insult humor from around the world. This episode was produced by Jenks Archive with the help of Noel Black and additional recording assistance by Trent Wrench. To learn more about the Jenks Archive project and to explore our video archive, visit www.jenksarchive.org. And as they say in Latvian, A backward.